And welcome to Thursday Night Talk here on KHSU. This week, Tom Wheeler is our host. We welcome your contributions. You can give us a call when Tom opens the phone lines at 826-4805, out of the area at 800-640-5911, or you can text 492-KHSU. All right. Welcome to Thursday Night Talk. Uh, I think I have a very humble show for y'all tonight. Uh, Our topic is cannabis, weed, pot, whatever you want to call it. Um, And this isn't the usual thing that we do when we talk about cannabis. We're not complaining about environmental impacts. We're not uh, complaining about grow dozers or whatever else. We're here to talk about business and how are our local uh, businessmen and women... and I have two wonderful women here, uh, are, you know, taking the bull by the horns and are uh, leading their industries here in Humboldt County. So I am so proud to have Kaylee Saxon, who uh, works for Green Road Consulting, uh, which is a civil engineering firm that does uh, cannabis consulting work and is uh, the principal or the owner of Forbidden Fruit Farms. Is that right, Kaylee? Yeah, co-owner. Cool. partner and I. All right. Well, welcome so, and thank you so much for joining me. And we also have Tiana Ariaga. I knew I was going <laughs> to screw that up. Tiana Ariaga. Yeah. Uh, close enough. I'm just going to call you Tiana. That's a lot That's easier. Perfect. And and Tiana is with Papa and Barkley, our great uh, local um, solve and everything manufacturer. So thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. All right. And so we have uh, kind of two sides of this picture. We have farming and we have manufacturing. And so hopefully we can learn more about how both of these businesses are doing uh, in today's market. So to start off, uh, Tiana, let's flip it to you first. Uh, Can you tell us the story of Papa and Barkley and how did you get into this line of work, this really interesting, unique line of work? Okay, well, um, just, you know, for the sake of everything, Papa and Barkley is definitely out of a passion. And it started because, I don't know if you uh, have had the chance to, you know, hear the story around here, but our company founder, his father was really, really, really sick and was on his deathbed and nothing was working. The medications were just ailing him. And the only thing that seemed to work was cannabis. And that's where our our relief salve basically came from. Of course, we refined it um, over time and, and, you know, just the way that we do our processes. But cannabis um, was put on his father in the same sort of fashion that we, you know, manufacture relief balms. And he was able to get out of bed for the first time in a long time. And they um, really started experimenting more with it. And he got years more of life from his father than what they thought was originally possible. And just really unlocking the potential of this plant and giving it to the people is become like the crusade of Papa and Barkley. What um, we would like to do is show everyone how this plant can really just heal and really save you in multiple ways. And for us, um, that is just the passion that everybody on our team has and I truly adore the people we work with so very very blessed that way me um, I came up here following friends uh, I've been in this area now more than half my life and it was really just I I found Humboldt County fell in love and instantly when I got here I met somebody who was local and they asked hey do you want to make some extra money and start trimming with me and I was like what is this and and that's really how it started I was just another little trimmer trying to put myself through school and it became a lifelong passion so yeah and 
now I'm here. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. And um, I want to point out some of the great press that Poppin' Barkley has gotten recently. You had a write-up in Forbes um, and other national publications. Uh, so it's really cool that you're bringing national attention to our homegrown Humboldt industry. So cool. Thank you for that as well. Well, I mean, honestly, everything we do um, here, uh, Eureka is our home base. Um, we work with so many local farms and that's the only way that we have gotten to even where we are is with our farms and um, if you're able to read that Forbes article and uh, some of the people we work with we work with some of the best in the industry and I know that there's plenty that we haven't had the chance to do so and we're super excited what the future looks like and just all the farms that we're going to be partnering with and seeing how far we can take this into the future so and we're that, excited. And that's a wonderful segue for our, our fantastic <laughs> farmer over here, Kaylee Saxon. So Kaylee, you have multiple hats. You um, are a farmer with Forbidden Fruit Farms, and you are also a consultant at Green Road Consulting. Um, So tell us about your farm and how you got into this industry. Um, So our farm, I mean, really, it goes back to my mother-in-law. She came up here in the 80s. My partner, Dylan, is a second-generation farmer. Um, so we really are, you know, one of those kind of heritage family owned and operated farms up here in Humboldt that's trying to make our way through. Yeah. And how did you come to the area? Are you from Bolt? I'm not from Bolt. No, I'm from Southern Oregon. Uh Um, I actually followed an ex-husband down here and here we are. There you go. All right. (laughs) And, and Kaylee, there's also some exciting news and we were, we were talking about this before we got in the air. Uh, Forbidden Fruit Farms has been given the first annual cultivation license in the state. Hey, yeah. All right. So, so what does that mean? You know, I, I think a lot of people don't know the kind of hoops, hoops and hurdles. I try to combine those two words when I was just speaking. Um, they don't understand all the work that it goes to to get that cultivation license. So tell me how it felt and what does it mean? Oh, um, unbelievably exciting but overwhelming all at the same time. Um, so basically we've been granted the first annual license in the state of California, um, which means we have essentially jumped through every hoop that we have to jump through. Um, we still do have a few things, you know, to tie up with our county to get our county license um, to no longer be conditional. Um, but once our greenhouses are permitted, we're pretty much good to go. And we've, you know, conquered all of our environmental hurdles. And that's really the big struggle with all of this is is the environmental permitting, I think. Right. And Humboldt does have stricter rules in other areas in the state. Um, and yeah. I, I, I believe I've heard Santa Barbara. Is that the one that I hear people <laughs> complaining about? Uh, just having kind of a free pass for its farmers. You know, I, Humboldt is definitely strict. And, you know, the permitting process has been rough, but I think we do have to give credit to our supervisors in the planning department. We really are leaps and bounds ahead of the rest of the state as far as the environmental work does. You know, we have to have that stuff wrapped up and completed to get a full state license. And Humboldt County's really shoved us into making sure that we have that buttoned up. And so. just from a, a quality of life perspective, too, um, you know, we we probably all live here because of the outstanding natural beauty and the wildlife. And, you know, we need to make sure that this industry maintains uh, that level of beauty, that kind of uh, way of life for us Humboldtians. Um, Well, congratulations again. 
so let's let's start maybe with with farming. You mentioned that you have greenhouses. Um, so what what type of canvas production do you do? Are you mixed light, and can you kind of talk about the the various different sorts of canvas farming that go on right now? Yeah. So, well, I guess it would depend on what agency you talk to. To the state, we are half mixed light tier one, so we do run depth. We have half of our farm um, that we get two runs what, a year out of. What's depth? For we, oh, so light, we do utilize light deprivation techniques. We pull tarps over the greenhouses to trick the plants into believing that, you know, it's fall and the world is ending, so they need to produce their flowers. Um, and then we do have half of our farm is full sun, full term um, plants, so outdoor cultivation. So when you're doing full outdoor, uh, full sun, is that one plant per growing growing year? Yeah, one, one, one. We get one harvest out of our outdoor plants, and then and we get two harvests out of our depth plants. Okay, okay. Um, and then we also have an indoor scene here in Humboldt as well. Are, yeah. are either of you familiar or have you done any consulting work on, on indoor farms? And how how is that? How does that sector look or how big is that relative to our outdoor or our light depth um, canvas industry? I would say not as big. Definitely not as big. It's a lot more expensive and intensive as far as cost, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, just, you know, on the facilities and uh, the electricity and... There's a lot, there's different hurdles in that for sure. All right. Well, let's. They do exist. They do exist. (laughs) Let's open up the phone lines. We are at 1 800 640 5911 or 826 4805. You can also text in your questions. um, And that's actually a really great way to get your question on the air at 492 KHSU. All right. um, So, cost. That's something I've been concerned about honestly um you know we 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 read these reports uh coming out about you know oh in washington the price has fallen so much and in oregon the price has fallen so much um how how is the price now in humble county i think um as we're not buying a lot of bulk flour um currently you know the backbone of pop and barkley is a lot of trim and then we also have Papa Select line that we just released. And so, and that's all through Fresh Frozen. So for Fresh Frozen, you know, we're seeing a lot for a wet pound, mind you. We're seeing... You're going to have to, like, define all of these <laughs> okay. terms. Like, I'm I'm 31 years old. Like, I am I'm I feel like I'm hip. Like, I, I, I put on a Papa and Barkley patch on my back the other day when I was having back pain. But, like, all right. How, how'd that work out for you? Yeah, it was great. It, it, it is. Yeah, it, no, it, it was really magical, actually. Um so, uh, so let, let, let's slow down that roll. Okay. Um, so you, you use a lot of trim. Trim is the byproduct of growing, I guess. It is yes. all that stuff, which is not the, the you know, the, so, the flower. Right. So when you're taking a flower and you dry it out and you make it look all pretty, you're essentially giving it a haircut. So all those clippings are trim. And a, a lot of the big water leaf is not used. It's taken off. So the big fan leaves are taken off. And all you're left with is like the sugary trim. And that is used for a lot of extractions. So um, for us, that is the backbone of our business. Um, all of our everything is made from trim, uh, from our relief balms to our massage oils, our transdermal patches, everything, capsules, tinctures. Uh, the other line I was talking about, Papa Select, it's living extracts. So if you're looking for the purest of the pure, organic ice water extraction, 
that's Papa Select and it's for dabbing. And so, and so that's ice water we, extraction, and that's where you take the THC and the other the, cannabinoids, everything and the off terpenes. the plants, all the crystals and everything off the plant. And when you use ice water to get all those trichomes, all the sugar off the plant, and the plant is harvested, so it's a, a growing plant. You cut off a branch, you take all the fan leaves off, you just give it a light little haircut with all the non-sugary stuff off, and so then you just have, you know, your, your basically your trimmed down branch, and then you buck it down, bucking, cutting it down to a size no bigger than like a small thumb into a bag, and you instantly freeze it. You either stick it in a freezer, or you put dry ice on it to really get it cold, and then you freeze it. And then that is used. That's called fresh frozen. So it's a literally fresh plant that is frozen immediately. And then we use ice water to extract um, all the yumminess out of that into beautiful living extracts. And if you go to the, our Instagram, Papa Select, you can see what we're doing in the farms that we're working with and just the products that we're making. Um, Select Solventless is um, our hash team leader. And, and the team is phenomenal, and they it's purity at its finest. So that's... So yeah, I, I'm just picturing, <laughs> you know, Dad Wheeler. Dad Wheeler's been smoking pot forever. Um, yeah. And, you know, I, I think that he's probably has his mind blown by the, the whole myriad of ways that people can consume cannabis these days. Um, so is, is concentrates... Um, the you know taking the the plant and grabbing the things that we want off of it is that the hot market these days? Yeah, it is, and you know the way we do it in because we don't use BHO, so we don't use butane extractions, we don't do CO two extraction. Everything we do is the purest form that we can with the um, least amount of abrasiveness. So basically as simple as you can to fully get everything out of the plant, to fully express the plant and to really, you know, let people experience what that is. And, and that's why our products work so well um, because they're loaded with full plant cannabinoids completely. And you really feel the effects in that in every product that we have. So, um, and it is, extractions are where everything's at right now and it's pretty exciting. I think it's changed the landscape quite a bit in business for cannabis over the last 10 years dramatically. So extractions are getting really big. Um, is that putting a pinch on our indoor scene? Is that why we have less because you know a lot of the the farm stuff is going i I am seeing the head shaking no (laughs) okay i I don't think so i mean i think you know at humboldt uh, power is a big thing and we you know you get outside of the main cities here and there's not a lot of power out there um i think in humboldt it's really just location yeah okay not many places to do it yeah because i mean a lot of people were underground growers in their garages or little shops and things and so um typically in residential areas which you can't get permitting for and Mm -hmm. then trying to find the space to do it that would be compliant that wouldn't cost a lot to retrofit i mean again it's cost where if you have a parcel and it's permitted you know, it, there's just a lot less uh, barriers that way. So I think when the market shifted, a lot of indoor growers just probably threw in the towel and moved into or moved on to other things. Okay. Um, so as a grower, I, I imagine that you're kind of watching this market trend. Um, mm-hmm. So how does that affect what you grow or how you grow? Well, it hasn't too much so far yet. I mean, you know, 
if there was a plant out there that was all trim, maybe we would switch to that because that's the easiest to sell right at the moment. But <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> but you do. We do have to, you know, be paying attention. We, you always have have to though. You know what strains are really popular right now. What what are people wanting to buy? What you know? What do you think you can move? So, what strains are really popular right now? Let's let's uh, let's imagine a, a person who is excited by legalization they never um imbibed before um but now they are thinking about doing it you know they're 60 something years old uh what what would you recommend i mean i feel like sativas move much much quicker anything that's fruity and you know interesting it doesn't have that typical kind of og smell to it i think moves a little better but which is funny because you know for so many years it was you know, OG, sour diesel, like just really, really heavy concentration. And then exotics is, you know, like all those flavors are exotics kind of came in and, you know, the gelatos and the sunset sherbets and then it's just the Skittles and it just like took off. I mean, a crazy movement of all these expressed terpenes in these plants that are just phenomenal smelling and taste amazing. So, yeah. I mean, just just from the names, I would much more likely to want to eat a gelato or a sherbet than I am, you know, sour diesel. <laughs> or, or a creme brulee. Yeah, right? Yeah. That sounds pretty good. Yeah. Does it taste like creme brulee? creme brulee? It's, you know, I think flavor is such a funny thing, especially when it's, you know, um, a concentrate too. You gravitate to what you, your palate likes, you know, and there's so many different terpenes. It could taste sweet like creme brulee with like a really good finish but i don't know you should definitely try it because we have that on the lineup too so (laughs) all right we have our first text in call or not call it our first text question Ooh. all right and uh thanks to the person who texted this in would the panel please address the issues of corporate growing intentions versus the historic local growers presence in other words are big financial entities pushing out mom and pop grows in order to engage in the proverbial profit driven profit driven objectives of capitalism and they have a little part two um could uh the panel please define the acronym og og oh gosh i don't there's i don't think that there's different a, i think yeah is no it ocean grown is oh. it you know i've there's tons i think yeah there's original ocean i mean yeah, yeah. I, I mean it's taken on a life of its own i think because i mean more background i've been a cultivator too for so many years and uh, from indoor to outdoor and things and it's the naming has taken on a life of its own we all know that and then with pheno hunting and breeding and all the farms were like, I'm going to name this, this now, you know? So it's, it's taken on a life of its own, but to address corporate cannabis. Well, so, so maybe the first question there is to what degree is out of area capital coming in and, and investing in business or influencing business development in Humboldt County? I've seen some, um, I would say that I I still have more heritage farmers that are pushing through the process as clients of Green Road than I do corporate entities, but I do I do have a few um, corporate entities pushing through. Um, and by by a corporate entity, is, it, what what do we mean by that? Is that like you know some LLC that we don't really know where that money is coming from, or you might know where it's coming from, and it's East Coast or SoCal or Bay Area coming up here. 
I mean, I think that I kind of view it, I think others do too. It's just big money that comes from out of the area. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, you know, also just where does that money stay? You know, does it come into the area just as quickly as it's leaving? You know, and I, I feel in any industry, and, and this is, you know, something that should be said, you know, business can be crappy. It, it, it really can be. And, and that's just kind of the rub that I've always had with it. It's like, how sustainable can we make business? There's all this potential in the world to do so. And I think it takes the right elements and the right passion and the right people to make those choices. And, you know, and there's going to be an element of that big business coming in here. But, you know, the Emerald Triangle has such a value positioning. And why, why do we have a value positioning? because of the history, because of the culture. It takes 10 years to master your craft. We have masters upon masters of this industry here, of people who have bled and sweat and put so much hard work into this endeavor. And, you know, you don't realize it sometimes like, oh, I've been cultivating for 15 years. Yeah, you've been cultivating for 15 years. And that's a short amount of time for some people. It's such a knowledge on this multi-million, like soon to be billion dollar industry and you're standing right in the middle of it and I don't you know I think there's a lot of fear when it comes down to like what's going to happen there's a lot of people are having a hard time financially because the permitting and things that it's been challenging and it's difficult but it feels like we're right on the precipice of something so grand and so huge and you can't change the fourth generation story you know there's so much history here that i think um so many people would love to hear especially consumers when it opens up federally it's like they can purchase humboldt county cannabis from a fourth generation farmer you know and it'll happen it's just the process of getting there you know and people having hope for the future because there's definitely that on the horizon so if we're not having big out of area capital coming to farms um we were talking earlier before we got on the radio about out-of-area um, companies competing for um, our local trim and and the manufacturing business. And I, I, I know that we probably don't really think about historic mom-and-pop, you know, salve makers, but to, to what degree are we competing with SoCal, Bay Area, um, distillate or concentrate manufacturers for our own farmer's product right well i feel you know farmers have to get paid and you know selling trim is a a hot commodity and it's easy to do right now and and i understand like everyone has margins so when you have someone knocking on your door and offering a lot of money for your product you know it's hard to be like no i want to hold out for a local buyer you know and i think that a lot of Yes, big extract companies from, you know, like oil companies, vape cartridge companies from, you know, out of area are purchasing up a lot of trim and then taking it back down and selling it for a lot of money, making a lot of profit. And and that's just a way of business. However, I feel like... So are, are they making that money, just to be clear, are they, are they buying the trim up here, moving it to Southern California, then reselling that same trim? They can resell it for more prices for companies down there, or they can extract it and turn okay. it into, you know, cartridges, you oh, know, manufacture you. Yeah. cartridges and, you know, sell that. So, you know, and, and, and there's a part of that business and it's good because farmers get paid. But then on the other side of it, it's like, you know, how fast is the money leaving the area? Are there jobs being created here? You know, how is it going back into this community? And I really think that 
community first as we're transitioning into this really large legal industry, you know, um, thinking about that. If And so many people don't talk up here, and they should. Like, our farm should be highly connected. And I think, uh, like, the Humboldt County Growers Alliance has really helped facilitate that connection, which is an amazing thing. Because if one farm hears something and then all these other farms hear about it, it it's, it's a resource that way, you know. And I think that as we band together, we can really kind of see what this community can position and offer as a giant biz- a business, you know, instead of like having these competing little factions of everyone just trying to make it and just seeing what happens because we are definitely stronger together than divided. So back to the mom and pop small scale farmers, um, you know, I, I, I remember back when we were having the discussions over the county's various um, cannabis ordinances, whether it was 1.0, 2.0, people were always talking about mom and pop, mom and pop, mom and pop. And we wanted to be able to maintain an ability for very small scale growers to be able to continue it with startup costs and permitting costs and consultant fees and whatever else. Is there a size of operation that is just now too small? Do you have to kind of maintain a, you know, a minimum... Uh, square footage of 2,000 square feet or just throwing out a number to to even survive in this world? I mean, I really kind of feel like I'm cusping on about as small as you can be with 10,000 square feet. Uh Uh-huh. That'd make it. How much much work is 10,000 square feet? Is that that you and your partner's um, full-time job? Do you have other employees? It's it's a lot of work. Um, it is my partner's full time job, and then some. I mean, definitely this year he's been working twelve hour days, and our farms in Southern Humboldt, and I'm up here with our daughter in Northern Humboldt, and you know, definitely he'll single for now because that's one hundred percent what he does. Um, sacrifice, big sacrifice. You know, his brother helps a couple days a week. Um, my mother-in-law's down there. She helps a lot. She cuts all of our clones. She maintains our moms, you know, she chips in, but we really are completely family operated and that it's definitely difficult, but. So you, you, you said, I'm sorry. Uh, you said that you do both, um, light depth, which you can get two harvests a year and you do a one harvest a year full outdoor. Yes. Um, with 10,000 square feet, if, if you did more light depth, if you kind of pushed it harder and add supplemental lighting, would that change the equation? Can you do 10,000 as just straight outdoor? I could do 10,000 as just straight outdoor. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's good to know. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> uh, it's again, it's all just being smart and how you're planning your financial cycles, you know, because... It's nice to get paid when you have multiple harvests coming throughout the season, you know, and some quality could be better than others, depending on temperatures, time of year, uh, greenhouses, you know, and then also it's not all riding on one harvest. You're getting paid at the end of the year. And then a lot of times that's not right up front for farms. You know, there's a lot of waiting and then, and that's, an, you know, another barrier is, uh, yeah, it's, you're growing it and that's a full-time job and then marketing it and then packaging it, you know, and waiting for distribution. I mean, it's an, it's really an amazing feat that these farms are bringing their products to retail because it is some hard work. And I don't think a lot of people realize how challenging it, it, it truly is. Uh, it's not for the faint of heart by any means, you know, and, and, and manufacturing is not for the faint of heart either. 
we produce a lot of products and it there are some crazy challenges that our team adapts to all the time you know with every challenge there's an opportunity and that's how we truly see it and that's you know just how we have to live i think in this industry day by day all right well this is a call-in show and we just got another text if you'd like to text us the number is 492 khsu or you can call in the number is 1-800-640-5911 all right what's our text and uh, you can also call it 826-4805. This person is an environmental science student concentrating in ecological restoration. Their question is for Kaylee, what sort of opportunities are available for ecological restoration work in the field of cannabis regulation compliance? Do you see compliance as an opportunity for job creation in our area? Definitely. Um, You know, there so much work goes into these farms to be environmentally compliant Um, across the board. And that really has kind of pushed us ahead of the rest of the state in this whole licensing shebang. Um, Bigger, though, where I kind of see this coming in, and I'm sure you guys have heard of it, is our uh, new abatement system for farms that did not enter the legal market and the permitting process. And those farms are going to, you know, I think we're going to see a lot of abandoned parcels and there's going to be a lot of environmental work there. And I think that would be a fun show by itself. How do we unravel this history (laughs) (laughs) of all of these, you know, grows out in the hills that will get forfeited to to the county through tax forfeiture or will rack up a bunch of fines and we're going to have a levy on the property. Um, That will be a fantastic and interesting show for the future. Okay. Well, um, are, are, are we, are we doing enough as, as Humboldt County to support um, Canada businesses to be successful? And if we're not doing enough, what, what more could we do? Because, you know, I, without without weakening environmental permits or anything like that, just um, enabling our own can businesses to, to thrive. You know, I think one of the biggest issues is ancillary cannabis businesses. It is really hard to get an ancillary cannabis business if it's manufacturing, if it's processing, if it's distribution. We, we just don't seem to have a lot of property that's zoned appropriately and has the appropriate structures and, you know, really the the investment to put in these structures to to make sure that they're ADA compliant and they're commercially rated and all of that. Um, so if we could get that figured out, you know, Eureka, I feel like has done a lot of really great things trying to broaden that ability for us. Um, I can definitely and, and I know say that. Papa and Barkley has is, is been on a, a great expansion. Um, can you talk about your experience trying to find more room to grow? You know, I think that, um, you know, the city of Eureka has been really, really trying to work with cannabis businesses and, you know, showing support. And it's hard. I mean, and this is so, so new and it, it, it has been so regulated, you know, and, and as a grower from the grower perspective, I was like, gosh, I, I wish this could be a little bit easier, you know, but whenever there's something new, it takes so much to flesh it out. We don't even know what it looks like. And, and, and that's what's exciting. You know, I, I think that. The city council has voted, um, you know, pushing through more and more businesses and, you know, the city of Eureka and the development um, team there is just really trying to be supportive and asking, you know, from firsthand experience, asking me, hey, what do you need? What can we do to help facilitate your business? And and that's that's huge. 
that's a huge swing and and change in temperament if you think about even like five years ago. So you know it's yeah. it's it's good. But as far as Pop and Barkley and you know our expansion, again, we we love this community. We are a part of it through and through. We are all passionate about it. All our workers are, are local, and we we want to see Eureka thrive. And so if we can do that as we're expanding and you know making the area that we're doing business in better then then that's a win for us and so that's what we're trying to do as we expand and what we're considering is how can we improve a neighborhood how can we make this better if this is a vacant building like what could this look like like what would it look like for the neighborhood so you know those are all a lot of creative decisions you know and everything is it's always at the heart of community value so all right well and I, I know that you are a, a great job creator at Poppin Barkley. How many people do you employ now? Oh, I don't. Oh, that's a hard number for me. Oh, um, just a rough estimate. In the fifties, sixties, fifties, somewhere in there, you know. And we're we're looking to hire more and more. Um, we constantly need production staff, and you know. And if you want to work with us and you have a passion, I suggest submit a resume. There's so much growth. And so there's, you know, you're learning so many different jobs and you're switching things up all the time. And I just, again, too, you know, I, I've worked for myself for 13 years. I, I was a consultant, a, a cultivator. Um, I haven't worked with such a talented group of people in all my life, amazing, passionate people. And yeah, I think if you have a call to it and you want to try it, submit a resume and, and see what you can do with us, too, because we'd love to have you. All right. HSU grads, do it. <laughs> okay, so we have Dave on the line. Dave, thank you for joining Thursday Night Talk. What's your question? Um, I just have a brief anecdote to piggyback on the previous, um, I guess, texter's question, which is that um, <clears throat> I have a uh, forestry crew in southern Humboldt, and the vast majority of our work is restorative in nature. And a couple of years ago, um, a guy came to me and um, offered a sizable job. He said, I'm going legal. I got fish and wildlife and water quality and everyone else's brother coming out here. And I want you to impress the bejesus out of these guys that I'm doing the right thing. So, um, yeah, and and I, you know, part of Epic's work. My my other job is executive director of Epic. One thing I've been seeing is an increase in uh, timber production from um, former cannabis lands or current cannabis lands, and I think that there is an, another dynamic there about our, our shifting landscape where we had. 15,000 historic uh, black market or whatever you want to call them farms now coming into uh, the fold. Um, some 1,500 have permits still waiting at the county. Um, and there's going to be a lot of people left out. And what do we do with that land? Um, Dave, thank you for your restoration forestry, forestry work. That is really fantastic stuff. I appreciate it. Um, I'm privileged to be able to do it. And you know, the one thing that uh, weed and timber have in common is um, the devil's in the details. It's all how you do it. You either have a clean scene or you don't. That's my perspective on it. Absolutely. And we want to make sure everyone has clean scenes. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Dave. Thank you. All right. So I want to get back to job creation. Um, and, you know, one one of the things that we talk a lot about, I feel like, in Humble County um, is our history of kind of boom and bust economies, right? We started off with the mining economy, we moved to timber, now we're at cannabis, and we want to make sure that we're avoiding that bust. And so I, as we just 
kind of talked, or as I just talked about, we have a bunch of farms which are outside of the legal world, which are not in the legal uh, process of getting permitted, and they can't kind of even, well, we can talk about how 2.0 works, but <laughs> it, it, it'll, it'll be dif- difficult for them to, to get growing again anytime soon. Um, so there's a, a potential loss of revenue for a lot of Humboldt County, but then we have on the flip side, job creation, things like Papa and Barkley, and some some kind of different trim scenes than we have historically had. Um, so let's talk about what job creation means in the cannabis economy of 2018. Um, what are the sort of skills that people need um, to to do well in these businesses? This is such an awesome, you know, thought and concept too, because I don't really think there is a lot of, um, I think the sky's the limit. If you have a science background, you could be doing data and science and like extractions and figuring out, you know, methodologies on how to create things, which is super gratifying and, and awesome. Or, you know, if you are a cultivator, you could take on that job. You know, um, I've, I work uh, a lot with uh, Dark Staffing Services with Jamie Dark, and she's got amazing jobs that I didn't even think of. I was like, oh, that's a cool one, you know, and farm relations and just even what I do, purchasing legal cannabis for Papa and Barkley and um, doing farm relations. You know, I, if my 15-year-old self could see me now, I'd be like, winning. That's so <laughs> cool, you know. Uh, it, it, so there is so much out there, and I think that... Um, you know, if you're into something or you have a passion in cannabis, explore that. See what it looks like. And I wouldn't say don't think that it's not possible because they definitely think it is possible. For people who have been farming a long time and they can't get permitted and have to get these jobs, you have a ton of knowledge and value that I'm sure someone is looking for out there. And you just got to start connecting and um, finding your way because there is this inertia of jobs being created and um, we need them here. And our businesses need them here. So uh, on the farming side, um, and I I guess I don't even know if this is how it it still works um, with the the legal market. Are are you all still the ones kind of responsible for for trim or for trimming the cannabis? Yep. So how how is that working now? Because, you know, we used to have, um, and I I feel like this is... Offensive, the, the trimigrant season, you know, where you have, um, I'm not sure why I feel like that's offensive, but uh, where you have uh, out-of-towners coming into Humboldt County, making this a more weird, interesting, fun place to live. Um, I've always enjoyed hearing and trying to figure out what different languages I've heard every fall. Um, so, you know, anecdotally, I feel like I've seen a decline on the number of people kind of sitting around in Garberville looking for work. Um, what, how are, how are trimming jobs handled now? Well, I think it depends on what you're doing. You know, really what we've found that makes the most sense for us is doing that really pretty hand trim manicure on our top buds are really, you know, a grade stuff. And then the rest of it goes through a machine. So, you know, it just, I would say less is being hand trimmed at this point than it used to be. Are are trimming machines getting better so you can kind of trust them more? I mean, they're acceptable, but you know, if it's your B grade stuff that's going in the pre rolls or, you know, yeah. going to Tiana for extracts or whatever, the the prettiness of it doesn't really matter. 
So so it goes to cost versus, you yeah. know, like cost, what it comes down to, how much it takes to process and, you know, what makes sense for the farms. And yeah, if it's like top shelf and it's all, you know, manicured perfectly by hand. Yeah, there's, you know, value in that. But again, if it's all going to an extraction company, you don't want to pay a lot of trimmers out for that. Yeah, yeah. worth not worth it. Um, so Kaylee, you, you said that you have a nice family run operation, uh, but in your Greenwell Road Consulting world and in your other women about town in the cannabis community world, I imagine that you deal with other larger different types of grows. Do we have, do we have hired farm workers now or do we have people you know, we talked about these outside investors. Are they coming in and hiring somebody who was out in the hills and didn't try to get legal as to as their master grower or whatever? Definitely, yeah. We're I'm definitely seeing people, you know, um, kind of giving up their own scene, so to speak, and and going to work for somebody else. Um, um, I lost my train of thought, but yeah, we're definitely seeing lots of people, you know, working on it. You know, I think to get a job in this cannabis industry right now, creativity and an ability to adapt is the biggest thing. Even with Green Road, you know, the way the regulations were six months ago are not the way that they are now. So you just constantly have to be willing to adjust and move forward from there. Yeah, adjust. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right. So uh, something else I, I imagine that people care about is the quality of the product that they might consume. And that's one of the potential selling points of Prop 64 and legalization is that we can now have a, a cleaner strain or system of, of, uh, of cannabis. Um, so how, how do you go about testing um, your product? As, as a farm, I imagine that your, your bud that you sell, your, you call it your grade A, um, how does that get tested for the market? So testing goes through a distributor. You, you know, take it and you do your COAs, your trim that gets sold and go into extracts gets tested before and then it gets tested after the extracts completed. Testing is, it's um, rigorous, I would say. (laughs) Um, But, you know, it's a good, it's a good thing because we're, you know, pesticides are definitely a no-no. We're not seeing those. You're not able to have those. Um, I would say consistency in testing is, a problem, um, a big problem, I would say. You know, consistency across the board right now, I think, is really hard. Um, you know, one distributor's A grade product is another dis- distributor's D grade product, and nobody is looking at everything exactly the same way. So, you know, you've really got to be willing to do the legwork. And it's honestly kind of a whole other full time job to find buyers and distributors for each piece of this puzzle that you have that you're trying to sell because you know tiana will take my trim but she won't take my flower this guy over here will take you know fruit strains but he won't take og and this guy will take og but only if it looks like it's indoor it you know (laughs) it's a hustle to keep up with everything it's definitely a hustle (laughs) so so tiana for for the manufacturing side how how do you go about testing? Does Papa and Barkley have standards that are at state level, above state level? What are you looking for? The purest of the pure products and the best of the best. And yeah, we, we um, as it was stated, you know, like if we go to a farm and we say, hey, we would like to 
purchase your trim, you know, we'll take a, a sample of that trim and we run it through our own testing measures and we do potency on it before and then we tumble it and key fit, uh, taking all the sugar off of it, um, press it, and then we send off that concentrate, that heated press off to the lab. So then we get a concentrated test on it. We get microbials. Um, we get all the pesticides. Yeah. So what is the full suite of things that we are testing for now? So just even that, like um, a lot of people are doing potency because they want to know, you know, just how potent their flower is or their trim. So potency. Do you have to know that to sell it? Um, well, so with every like CO, yes, yes, yeah, yeah. Okay. short story, yeah. yes, yeah. yeah. Okay, okay. Cool. So, um, and, and the testing is rigorous, you know. So yeah, we we test before we purchase, we test after we purchase, and then that goes into an infused product. We um, an, like a process, you know. There's works in progress for all of our different things. We test that, and then the finished product gets tested again, and it has to match with all its labeling for the state. I mean, it's it's insane how many tests go into one product or you know one flower or it's 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 insane and it's expensive it's so expensive and that's that's really if it was you know a five dollar test wouldn't be so bad but it's it's thousands by the time you know everything's said and done thousands okay well we have another text come in michael what's that text say it says i'm a resident of eureka and i never see cannabis companies place of businesses other than in dispensaries. I realize this is due to Eureka's signage laws, but is there a way to show where, sorry, but is there a way to show you are in the community besides the fact that you are just here? All right. I think Tiana has strong feelings about this one. <laughs> I'm amping on this one. Uh, you know, and just the unfortunate, I didn't agree with the signage law, you know, and I understand what the city council and what everyone was thinking. Sometimes you have to, you know, agree to disagree just to get things rolling. And I believe that that's going to be revisited in February. And I think that that hopefully um, changes. So you should be able to see signs popping up here and there and see who all your neighbors are and all the building improvements that these companies are doing to Eureka. Um, you know, and, and by us, we had a mural painted on one of ours, um, our, our lots just out um, on this fence, you know, and a, a lot of these businesses are, are looking at ways to, like, especially us, green buildings, lead certified buildings, you know, completely sustainable that are just like these living plants and just making it super green. So when you go by, you're like, ah, that's cool. Wonder what that is, you know? Um, But I I think again, like these are all just, um, we're seeing all these legislation and laws in their infancy stages and it's hard, you know, it's it's hard, but things are growing and getting a little bit bigger and I think it's all going to change. It's all going to change. And and for outreach in Eureka, I, I know I've seen Papa and Barkley at Friday night markets and, and so forth. Yeah. And, you know, that's I first saw you at Friday night market and <laughs> I'm sure you're sick of this. But I was like, oh, what is that like a dog food thing? Because it's like <laughs> this nice looking older gentleman and this cute dog and like, oh, but as cannabis is this. This is pot for my dog. Okay, yeah, I, you know, uh, fair enough. But Barkley is the family dog, you know, and yeah, no, it's pop and Barkley, sorry. you know. But and, and it's hard too, you know. Um, we're here in this community, and we, you know, work with so many farms. We support so many business partners. We're so active in as many things as we possibly can be. And yeah, a lot of our community doesn't even know that we exist. And I, I wish that they did, you know. Um, 
And I'm, I'm hoping that changes and I'm hoping that through more events and as laws change and as more farms find out who they are, um, as I get to work with more people and as our teams expand, they find out more about us because I think it's um, just another cool business here in Eureka. So. All right. And as a Eurekan, I appreciate that you're in my city. Thank you. Um, we love you. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Goodness. Um, so how how do you go about, in, in you're the person at Papa and Barkley who is in charge of finding all of this stuff to turn into salves and whatever else. How do you go about sourcing all of your plant material? It's not a linear thing. And I think that's why I was chosen um, to be in this role. And, you know, and there's not a lot of women, I think, in negotiating in general, just if you're looking at supply chain. Um, So and and I think that that's awesome with Pop and Barkley that, you know, they didn't follow the stereotypical thing. And and, um, I'm in this role. Farms. I've had a lot of farm contacts just because I've been in this community. I've worked with a lot of farmers. that's one element of it the other element is who i've heard good things about who is looking for sustainable partnerships not for like the quick buck today or the quick buck tomorrow but they want to be in this in five years ten years this is the legacy that they want you know and who is going to help them reach that point so i'm i'm always have my ear to the ground trying to find people who um want good business and sustainable less volatile you know relationships so it is there's no easy answer to this. It's all over the board. Sometimes it's through Instagram. Sometimes it's through word of mouth. Sometimes farms approach me or I just bump into someone at the farmer market and I, I see their sticker or their branding. I'm like, hey, I know your farm. I'm a big fan of it. You know, and it's a lot of organic conversations like that. But um, it's just been the little tiny pieces here all coming together to form this puzzle. We're all over the Emerald Triangle with the farms we partner with all over and even to get fresh frozen plants off those mountains sometimes like freezers logistics out of the hills around here and it's like my team and you know me coordinating all of that it's it's a fun wild ride so <laughs> i how does transportation of this stuff work because at one time weren't there were supposed to be like teamsters or something that had to move <laughs> all your product it started very hardcore yes yeah Ar- so where are we, vehicles and all of that where um, are we at now well i have a self-transportation distribution license so i can move my own product um however i can only move it to a distributor i can't come in contact directly with a retailer so i do have the ability to drive it myself it was an additional license I had to get, which, you know, is maybe a little silly, but it is what it is. And yeah, so that that's the number one way. There are transportation companies, distributors will come up yeah. and, and get it from you off the hill. Yeah, we're we're a distributor yeah. as well, you know. So, do you do pickups? Yeah, of how, course. Yeah. Like, so how big? And that's what I do too. Yeah. Well, so like, what what is the quantity that we're talking about? Like, when you're when you're going out, like your average pickup or your average purchase, are we it, we're talking it dozens of pounds? It changes because you know, again, it's like I don't want to source from one farm, and I, one farm couldn't source everything that we needed. But again, like if you have thirty pounds of trim or something, which can be considered a smaller amount. I'll buy it from you because I want to work with your farm. And I, if I can, 
you know, help your business, you help our business, we grow together. Sometimes I can pick up a thousand pounds to 1500 pounds of trim in one, one go. And, you know, we have estate compliant vehicles that are all cameraed that are secure every point of entry. Like, I, I mean, we have a cargo trailer that's got welding cages inside with security cameras inside and out. And then you attach that to our procurement truck that's got security cameras all around it and caging. And like the driver, you know, is videotaped. I mean, and that's all going real time out. It's insane, you know, to be, it's a lot of work. <laughs> and it's hardcore for distributors. And, and again, I'm I, just in my Subaru, but you know. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that this also speaks to some of the potential for our own local economy with legalization. It's the investment. It's buying your trailer and having all of these doodads and whatnots. Yeah. Uh, hopefully we can do it locally. Um, we have, you know, instead of paying a company $8,000 from out of the area to do caging, you know what? We went to Fortuna Iron and they did welding caging for us at very affordable, great prices and did great work. And, you know, every little piece like that, um, every step of the way, if we can do it locally, we're going to, you know, and it's that's that's fun too it's 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 all a trip but yeah like doing big pickups in the hill imagine like going up you know some of these ridges with like a big truck and like camper you know you know big trailer and filling it with trim bags and the bags have to be clear and food grade to be compliant you know a lot of people are still doing contractor bags if you need help sourcing those reach out to me at papa and barkley i'll help you um get these bags because they're kind of hard to track down but yeah i mean it's you should see some of the stuff I'm pulling off the hills and, you know, in legal, all legal ways. But, yeah, it's a trip. <laughs> Crazy. All right. We have two texts that have come in. Yes. Um, so the first one is, what are the general standards around paying trimmers in the legal market? Um, are there hourly rates? Is there provided housing? Anything like that? All right. That's a pretty quick one. Trimmers, how do we pay them? Um, you know, my understanding is that, you can either still go by pound or hourly. Um, it just depends on who you're working for, I think. Yeah. Do you know about the going rate these days for a pound? A pound I'm seeing anywhere from 100 to 130 is what I'm hearing. Is that is that about the price that it was, you know, five years ago? No, not even two years ago. Yeah. What was it then? 200 bucks a pound. Typically 200. And like years ago when prices were really high, if you were fast and you did good work and you can get like two pounds done in a day, like people would tack on bonuses. Uh They'd also feed you. You know, it was like the old school Humboldt County think tanks, trim circles. Oh, no. (laughs) All right. What's our next text? All right. um, What would you suggest both the county and cities do to support the cannabis industry and economic development? We did a little bit of this, and so it's having sufficient space zoned for for appropriate development. Is there anything else that we can think of? You know, this is the most regulated industry to so many degrees, uh, whether it's retail, whether it's distribution, whether manufacturing, all of it across the board, you know, and I think that there is still a stigma out there. It's changing, but there's still a stigma that you're in cannabis or that it's illegal or, uh, you know, and there definitely is. Yeah. And And I just really would like to see that stigma challenged to, you know, it is a legal market. It's a valid business. And what, what stereotypes do you want to bust? It's just, when you have people making decisions for a lot of businesses, you know, and policymakers and things, you know, and I, again, I recognize that this is changing and, and, and a lot of people are really, you know, just looking at it. But 
we're we're not a dangerous industry you know we are a highly regulated industry that's gone through so many things to prove it and i just you know would like to see that seen across the board more and more you know and maybe i'm a sucker but I, i'm sitting next to both of you i don't feel afraid i, I you're, you're not big and scary <laughs> that's what i always tell everybody i have a six-year-old you know she she's pretty great i think she's you know got a pretty good home life i don't think her big bad scary grower parents are you know a detriment to her in any way we're viewed that way still which is unfortunate but if you've got a permit and you've been going through this process and you've made it to like you're it's a crazy the you know what it takes to get that far it's not like this mafia you know gorilla grow like crazy (laughs) you know it's not like that at all and i see so many different farms across the board i mean and some of them i know some of them i don't so you never know really what you're gonna walk up on and i have it's been such a joy meeting the people that I've gotten to work with and see. It's It's been great. I mean, I would say that's true with Green Road, too. We work with, oh, I don't even know how many, you know, different farms we've been to. And I can think of, like, maybe twice that my crew's come back and been like, that place was weird and it made us uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> you know, for, for the most part, we're just normal people out there. Yep. All right. So we are just about out of time. I think we have about five minutes left. So one thing I wanted to make sure that we covered was um, the relation between Humboldt County and the larger state. Um, So we kind of have a competitive relationship with other counties. Uh, We have higher standards here in Humboldt County. Other counties are really getting out a lot of big farms really quickly. Um, Is California doing enough to protect against a cannabis bubble where we have too much production and not enough demand and we're just going to have prices drop as we've seen in other states have legalized. So there was a very interesting article that just came out about Santa Barbara, I think, where Santa Barbara was a county. You know, I think we've all been living in fear of them a little bit. They came out really hot with really big farms, zero regulations, And they're kind of kicking themselves now because the number of massive farms that have blown up compared to the number of farms that have entered their permitting system um, is nowhere near equal. They've had a fraction of the farms try to enter the permitting system. Um, The residents down there are getting really angry. Wells are drying up. Environmental standards are not being held. Um, And they, you know... Humboldt's tax system maybe isn't perfect. Santa Barbara decided to go with a sales tax only system and they have reaped nothing from that because nobody down there is selling into the legal market. What, what is our tax system? Um, it's a square footage tax. So, you know, it's a dollar a square foot for outdoor. It's $2 a square foot for mixed light and it's $3 a square foot for indoor. All right. Are, are we doing enough from a manufacturer's perspective to avoid a bubble? It's a very loaded supply and demand question. (laughs) I feel like I need more than like three minutes for that. Um, You know, I just, a lot of times when things and policies are made, you know, it's made by people who haven't cultivated and haven't been in this industry or even know. And I think when you lack foresight and anything like that, it's incredibly challenging, you know, to make appropriate policies. Again, it's all in its infancy stages and I think a lot's gonna change. I think the state of California, um, just how do you prepare for something like this? How do you prepare for such a giant industry that's coming out? And, and you know, and I, I would like to say, yeah, you know, it could have been done better. I, I just think we're all doing the best we can, you know, and I hope that um, 
farms are definitely considered more, especially small farms are considered more as uh, things move along. 